It's time to talk sci-fi and superheroes, fantasy and horror. It's time to talk movies, TV, books, and games. It's time to escape boring talk radio with the Jenny through the wormhole and into the geek universe. And now, a strange visitor from another planet with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. Your host for Geek Universe, Jim Yelton. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and children of all ages, welcome once again to the Geek Universe. I am your host, Jim Yelton, along with our robotic announcer, Rachel. We are coming to you live on tape from Geek Headquarters, otherwise known as the Moss Eisley Cantina. Just a few blocks away from Docking Bay 94, the Moss Eisley Cantina has live music nightly and no cover charge. Just remember to leave your droids outside. They're not welcome here. Our guest this week has a truly geeky professional pedigree. Whether working for Don and Maggie Thompson on the legendary Comics Buyer's Guide, or his work for Marvel on Iron Man, or his numerous offerings in the Star Wars universe, including comics, RPGs, short stories, and novels, John Jackson Miller has, as he puts it on his website, spent his career strip mining his childhood. You know, between the 30 minutes of Geek Podcast and now with the Geek Universe radio show, we've been churning out interviews at Geek HQ for about a year now, and surprisingly, I've yet to talk about the franchise that basically changed the direction of my entire life. Fortunately, John Jackson Miller is the perfect person to have on the show to discuss that time long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. I kick things off by asking John how he started writing in the Star Wars universe. Well, uh, you know, I started writing uh, material for Star Wars uh, comics. Uh, 2005 is, uh, I think, when the first uh, issue I did. That was a, a fill-in issue of the Star Wars Empire series for Dark Horse. Uh, and that, of course, led to me getting to do the Knights of the Old Republic comic series, uh, which ran 50-some-odd issues and ended up uh, just now being reprinted. Uh, the first volume of that has just been reprinted by Marvel uh, under the Star Wars Legends Epic Collection. And so, yeah, it was uh, it was something where I started on the comic side of things, and that led to me getting to write some short stories for uh, the website, StarWars.com, and then also for the magazine, Star Wars Insider. Also in there, I got to do some stuff for the role-playing, game, the one that Wizards of the Coast was doing, uh, and uh, then I got to do some uh, prose fiction, which uh, was the series uh, Lost Tribe of the Sith was uh, a short story series that we did. Uh, these were giveaways uh, from, I think, 2009 to 2012. They were coming out on uh, the internet, and uh, those were popular enough that we ended up combining them into a, a book with some new material, uh, and uh, that I think that book is now on its ninth or tenth printing. It's uh, it's kind of crazy considering that you know, people you know originally read most of those stories for free. And that, of course, led to me getting to do uh, long-form uh, Star Wars prose. Uh, the uh, Night Errant novel was the first one I did. Then uh, the Star Wars Kenobi novel, uh, which came out in 2013. Then uh, Star Wars A New Dawn, which uh, sort of kicked off the kind of new era of Star Wars fiction and storytelling in general, which came out in the fall of 2014. Let's do a little bit of inside baseball here a little bit, because was it April of 14-ish? <clears throat> am, am I recalling time period right? You know, once Lucasfilm was bought by Disney, there was kind of this meeting of the minds where they were trying to figure out just what they wanted to do with the entire franchise, not just do new movies, but, you know, how could they really make 
the most bang for their buck out of buying Lucasfilm. Well, and I think they uh, they bought Luke, no, go Lucasfilm. Ahead. I think in October of October of twelve, uh, yeah. and uh, that was uh, right around the time that I started working on Star Wars Kenobi. And I actually do think that you know there was some connection between you know that sale and and the preference for for doing books about. You know, movie characters like Kenobi as opposed to doing another, you know, I, I had other pitches in on other more obscure characters or characters that were, were, uh, in the expanded universe. Uh, but I think one of the reasons that maybe they gravitated towards Kenobi was that, uh, you know, Disney was looking to, you know, begin focusing on the main characters from the films, uh, and get us thinking about all of those things as, as the movies ramped up. I, I began discussing doing the New Dawn book or the book that would become a New Dawn. Uh, it was a, a Rebels, uh, prequel story. And I began discussing that with them, uh, in October of, uh, I guess it was 13. And, uh, it was, was not until uh, I was probably about two thirds of the way through the book that I was informed that yeah they would be making this change to how the past continuity had been you know seen or perceived and that everything from basically my book forward would count as you know, official canon uh, and of course even then I didn't know whether I would be the first book for sure uh, because well I wasn't done with the book first of all and also I was pretty sure that they were going to tie the release of my book to you know the Star Wars Rebels TV show and it wasn't clear when that was going to come out I, I didn't know first of all whether I'd get my book done in time to come out before the Rebels uh, you know show as it ended up happening I think they ended up pushing Rebels back a month the, the debut and so we ended up coming out out, you know, in September of 2014, uh, as sort of the the kickoff point for uh, for the canon, and uh, and then Rebels came out in October. Uh, but yeah, I, I did not know when I started working on that book that you know, it was going to have that role. Well, and that's kind of what I was wondering is you talked about how you there were other things that you had thought about pitching them, and was a new dawn something that you went to them with and said this is an idea that I've got, or did they come to you and say we want some sort of prequel tying into Rebels because we've got this big new animated show we're doing. I think it was more like that. I, I think after Kenobi, it was clear to me that there were enough things uh, in motion, uh, especially with the movies coming out, that it wasn't going to be a thing where, you know, I would say, yeah, I have this idea. Uh, it, it really was going to be something more along the lines of, uh, you tell me what you need. Uh, if I if there's something interesting there, I'll see what I can do. And, and it was a case where, and again, this speaks to me not really knowing whether I would have the first book out. I, they, they already had, uh, you know, at least conceptually or perhaps further along, I don't know, they already had the notion that they were going to do at least two villain-centric books, you know, and that was Tarkin, uh, which ended up being the second novel that came out, and uh, Lords of the Sith, which uh, is, is your, uh, your Empire Vader book. Uh, or Emperor Vader book. I, I'm not sure when they actually came up with that one, uh, but but either way, they they knew that they were going to be focusing on on villains and some other books, and they wanted something that was more heroic. They also knew that you know they had uh, you know this Rebel show coming up, and that they wanted to have somebody delve into what it was like to be living under the Empire. And it struck me that if I could write about this period, that would be that would be interesting, and also it would allow me to sort of tell the the flip side of the 
story I had just told in Kenobi, uh, because here we also have another Jedi survivor of uh, Order 66, uh, except this is somebody who, unlike uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, he has no idea what's just happened. He has no mission. He has no purpose. And so he begins the book more or less as a drifter. Now, it's pretty obvious that they've got massive publishing plans, because what do you know the exact number? Isn't it something like 30 or 40 books that they had planned coming out this year leading up to The Force Awakens coming out I in think December? The, I think the, the official Force Awakens program that they announced, I think, had something like 20 books in it. Uh, but that includes books, uh, that includes junior novels, uh, that includes, I think, uh, some source books, uh, things that you might find from Dorling Kindersley or DK Press. I think I think the, the first Force Awakens novel, novel, Journey to the Force Awakens novel, is going to be that uh, Aftermath book, which is coming out in September, I think. Right. Was A New Dawn, was that part of the, the whole move towards what, I guess they're calling it the story group, that's kind of, you know, writing herd on continuity from here on out? Or? Yes, it was, it was the first official story uh, group involved project. Uh, I, you know, spoke with, uh, you know, the executive producers of the TV show. Uh, I spoke with Dave Filoni in a conference call with him and the rest of the story group. I had uh, feedback coming from uh, from uh, Filoni and the other two executive producers on my plots uh, and you know that went through. And then of course the story group also gave me some guidance as to what things I could do and couldn't do or shouldn't do. And once I got a sense for you know the feel of things, I went forward and you know the story group again took a look at the final product and offered suggestions and tweaks here and there. And you know this, what's interesting here is when we started, I didn't even know what uh, the the characters Kanan and Hera looked like. They didn't have that art yet. I got that art part way through. Uh, but, you know, even so, uh, you know, there was no animation done even by the time I was uh, was finished. So, you know, a lot of people have said that it, it, it you know, reflects well on the TV series. Uh, that's that's certainly delightful to hear. And it also uh, it also tells you, you know, what uh, you know, decent job we we must have done. This episode of the show is sponsored in part by Ace Designs Media. With hundreds of web design projects under their belt and over 200 happy customers, the Ace Designs media team knows how to build beautiful, interactive websites, and they can help with yours too. Whether your business needs a site that will simply wow your customers, or you need to add advanced features like e-commerce or blogs, their affordable prices mean that there is no longer any reason to say no to a high-quality, engaging website. So say yes and take the first step towards a new dynamic web presence for your business and visit the Ace website at acedesignsmedia.com. That's acedesignsmedia.com. Coming up, John and I discuss the prequels, the upcoming sequels, and we go all the way back to 1977 to talk about the way the original trilogy saved Marvel Comics. I'm Jim Yelton, and you're listening to Geek Universe. Hey gang, this week's show is sponsored by the Now Right Writing Guide series from Tarcher Penguin. Now Right Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is the latest book in the popular Now Right series, and it offers a full toolbox of advice and exercises for speculative fiction writers from some of the most well-known names in the genre. Are you hoping to craft an engaging alternate reality or flesh out an enthralling fantasy quest, or even dream up a blood-curdling plot twist? Well, you can learn secrets from authors such as Harlan Ellison, Piers Anthony, Jack Ketchum, Ramsey Campbell, John Skip, Joe R. Lansdale, David Bryn, Vonda McIntyre. I mean, the list goes on and on. They provide tips, tricks, and suggestions to help take your writing to the next level. 
Whether you're a beginner or a published professional, Now Write Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is a must-have for every genre writer's bookshelf. You know, I always tell everybody when I do a workshop or I teach one of my screenwriting classes that when I started, there was like two books that gave instruction on how to do this sort of thing. And you kind of, it was like being a babe in the woods. Like you just kind of had to find your way. And this is a really good way to get some exercises and some hints and tips on how to jumpstart your writing. So make sure to check it out. It's now right. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror. It's available in most Barnes and Noble stores on Amazon.com and directly from their website at nowright.com. You are listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Have a comment about the show? Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek. Hey, we just want to let you know that this week's show is brought to you by Soylent Green. You know, if you're hungry, there's nothing else that satisfies your craving better than Soylent Green. Remember what Charlton Heston said. Soylent Green is made out of people. That's right, Soylent Green. It's 100% green and 100% people. And coming soon, three new flavors. Soylent Red, Soylent Berry Burst Blue, and Diet Soylent with half the calories and half the people. You gotta tell them, Soylent Green is people! Welcome back to Geek Universe. I'm Jim Yelton, and our guest this week is John Jackson Miller, author of the Star Wars novels Kenobi and A New Dawn. We pick things up with John and I talking about where sci-fi movies were pre-1977 and how Star Wars changed the world as we knew it. I very clearly remember what life was like before Star Wars, when it was a bunch of really fake-looking rubber monsters and cardboard sets and the effects weren't that great, and then... Everything after Star Wars, it was like life changed. Movies could not go back to what they used to be before Star Wars because the bar was not just raised, but it was raised so high as far as storytelling and effects and and visuals and what could be done with movies that I can't imagine a world where Star Wars didn't happen. And, And I know somebody would have come along and done something similar, but... It was just kind of one of those like watershed moments for creative people, and it birthed so many of us who went on to write and create our own stuff. What was your first impression of Star Wars as a kid? Well, I knew that there were other kids talking about it, but I had no idea what they were talking about. Uh, it, it was a while before I got in to see the movie, and I actually dedicated the Kenobi novel to my sister, who made sure that I finally got in to see the film because we went several times, and uh, you know it was sold out. You know that was uh, that was the case back in those days when you had basically just uh, you know single screen movie theaters or something like that. You know we didn't have multiplexes. You know as as for what I knew science fiction to be before that or the limitations i you know i i i was only nine so i i vaguely remember seeing uh star trek uh and probably even more the cartoon than the than the tv show you know i remembered seeing you know, certainly i'd seen planet of the apes probably a couple of times uh running on tv but there wasn't a lot i think it wasn't until later on that you know, I sort of filled in all the blanks of, you know, what science fiction had been looking like beforehand. Logan's Run, uh, Silent Running, Dark Star, all these kinds of things. And, of course, once you do that, then you realize, you know, why it is, you know, both, you know, technically uh, an achievement and, and, a, and a change. And you, you also realize that uh, there's also this spiritual difference, you know, that the, the, the movies uh, kind of post 
post 2001, you know, going into the 70s are, are all fairly downbeat and dystopic. You know, Star Wars uh, kind of gets it back to the old, uh, the old serials and, and makes things, you know, much more upbeat again. So, you know, certainly now I, I can see, uh, in that context, you know, why it was seen to be such a big deal and, and, and so, uh, so different. You know, but as, as for me at that age, it was just, wow, this is cool. This is, this is neat. Uh, it also happened to coincide with, you know, right when I was beginning to read comics for older readers. Uh, and as I've said a few times, Star Wars number one is kind of the first grown up comic book I ever owned. You still have it? Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I, oh, yeah, it was, it was not a first edition. It's part of the, one of those uh, three packs that, uh, that Whitman right. did. Yeah. Uh, and in, in fact, that was. You know, it's been said many times, and I've I've, rep- I've repeated it on my uh, articles that I've written for Comics Buyer's Guide and Overstreet's Price Guide, uh, and uh, and also my Comicron website. Yeah, you know, that Star Wars really did save Marvel uh, in the in the mid '70s because you know the, the, here was this uh, you know title that they basically took a took a leap of faith on, uh, and it sold more than a million copies an issue. The movie adaptation that was totally unexpected you know no comic book had sold more than a million copies uh, since 1960 so that was a really big deal yeah and just all the different variations of it because i know they did you know like those oversized editions and then yeah, all the, the different editions yeah, yeah all the different reprints and eighth printings of it that they had to go back and do because it was selling so much i always kick myself because out of all the comics i have that's one of them that i could have bought and i never did and i have like every comic that i've bought my entire life and i can't believe that that's something that i don't have yeah i mean it was a it was a big deal and as i've i've written on uh you know i did a blog post about sort of my star wars journey on starwars.com last year there were a couple of times where i was uh, a lapsed comics fan you know because the, really the the late 70s was a terrible time to be a comics fan the, the prices were skyrocketing hard to make this sound like a hardship now, but you know, comics went from 25 cents to 35 cents to 40 cents to 50 cents over the course of about five years. So that's yeah. a doubling. That's a doubling in five years. And at the same time, at least at Marvel, they were cutting story pages and replacing them with ad pages. And it was just not a great, great time to be there. And of course, you know, the the, the uh, distribution market had collapsed, so you were down to getting comics, uh, you know, at, at your 7-Eleven pretty much. And uh, and that was that was no fun. You know, and it really was, of course, the comic shops that that saved the industry then. But yeah, there were a couple of times in there before the comic shop you know experience was known to me, where I was going to just drop out or quit or just find something else to do. And on both of those occasions, it was the Star Wars title that brought me back. The the work by Archie Goodwin and uh, and then later uh, David Michelinie that got me you know collecting again. As much as everybody kind of like pushes that to the side, I'm glad you brought up the comic and and how. It- it brought you back because there were some of those storylines that were really great. And oh, yeah. it, it, they did a great job of playing with what they could in between movies. Oh yeah. And you know, I've, I've said, you know, several times that uh, a number of my Knights of the Old Republic comics are, uh, you know, done as sort of an homage to Archie Goodwin's comics. You know, you know, Michelini, both he and Joe Duffy both predicted things that happened in the, the movies that would follow. And in fact, they were forced to change two different storylines because of that. Uh, because they, you know, David Michelini predicted the, the second Death Star and Joe Duffy predicted the Ewoks. So <laughs> <laughs> they, they ended up having to, to change those storylines in order to suit things. Well, and, and that was back when there really wasn't as much of a close 
relationship between what Marvel was doing with the comics and and Lucasfilm's plans for the the movies because I I always kind of looked at it like Lucasfilm was glad to get that revenue from the comics, but they looked at it like, well, it's just the comics. You know, we don't really care what they do. It's not going to affect the movies. And there wasn't like that, except for a couple of things, like you said, where they had clear-cut plans for the movies and they didn't want the comics to screw it up. They were able to do a lot of stuff in the comics. Well, and, well, they they, all, they they did step in a few times because uh, they wanted it to reflect the way that, that they wanted Star Wars to look. Yeah, the most famous one, obviously, is, is you know, Roy Thomas's first storyline after the movies uh, where, you know, he had sort of the Magnificent Seven storyline and, you know, Jackson the Big Rabbit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that drew some comment, and uh, so they went a d- different direction after that. But no, it's certainly true that you know, there were a lot of uh, things, a lot of a lot of the cross pollination between uh, the media, you know, came about because of the actual authors. Uh, that were reading each other's work, you know, wanting to reflect things. I mean, you had Archie Goodwin was doing both the comic strip and the, the comic book. You know, Archie was aware of what was going on uh, in uh, the novels. Uh, he did a comics adaptation of uh, one of Brian Daly's no- novels. Uh, so, you know, you'd get things that were mentioned between one to the next. Did you read those spinoff novels that they had? Because yeah. I, I thought the, the Han Solo trilogy that Brian Daly did was excellent. Yeah, I did. Everybody everybody read those. And I think I got, you know, I certainly got the Lando novels. I think I, I petered out about halfway through the second Lando novel. And right. I can't remember. <laughs> well, I, I, I think it was right when high school was going and uh, a lot of a lot of other things uh, you know came about one of the reasons that you know people do laps uh, in their fandom is because they'll they'll hit uh, a transition period where suddenly all the things that are in are no longer in anymore you know socially yeah you know, I went from junior high where everybody was into comics and everybody was into Star Wars and you know as soon as I got to high school I was the only person into any of this stuff and I kept with it which may be one of the reasons that I'm still doing what I'm doing now but it is also the case that I, I ended up inheriting everybody else's comics collections and everybody else's video games and everybody else's role-playing <laughs> game stuff because because they all they all got out because again back in those days there was still a stigma attached to, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, into these geeky things. And so, you know, I, I think if I wasn't following things as much as I probably should have, part of it would have been because I didn't have anybody to uh, communicate with about them or, or discuss them with. Uh, that, of course, changed when I discovered the comic shop. That changed when I discovered, uh, you know, Comics Buyer's Guide in particular, the weekly newspaper that I would end up going on to work for years later. You're listening to Geek Universe. I'm your host, Jim Yelton, and that's our guest, John Jackson Miller. Check out his website, farawaypress.com, for a list of his upcoming book signings and other appearances. Coming up, John and I dig into the part of the Star Wars mythology that divides fans the most. We're talking the prequels. Stay tuned for more Geek Universe. PopFunko.com is the best place on the web to shop for those awesome Funko Pop vinyl figures. Specializing in rare and hard-to-find figures, PopFunko.com carries limited editions, metallics, glow-in-the-darks, autographed, chase, and retired pops. All your favorite characters from The Walking Dead, Ghostbusters, Game of Thrones, The Big Lebowski, and many, many more can be found here, too. They even have collector sets and a bargain bin featuring pop figures for $10 or less. It's my first stop when looking for Funko figures. And now it can be yours too. That's popfunko.com. Hey gang, this week's show is sponsored by the Now Write Writing Guide series from Tarcher Penguin. Now Write Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is the latest book in the popular Now Write series. And it offers a full toolbox of advice and exercises for speculative fiction writers from some of the most well-known names in the genre. 
Are you hoping to craft an engaging alternate reality or flesh out an enthralling fantasy quest or even dream up a blood-curdling plot twist? Well, you can learn secrets from authors such as Harlan Ellison, Piers Anthony, Jack Ketchum, Ramsey Campbell, John Skip, Joe R. Lansdale, David Brin, Vonda McIntyre. I mean, the list goes on and on. They provide tips, tricks, and suggestions to help take your writing to the next level. Whether you're a beginner or a published professional, now write science fiction, fantasy, and horror is a must-have for every genre writer's bookshelf. You know, I always tell everybody when I do a workshop or I teach one of my screenwriting classes that when I started, there was like two books that gave instruction on how to do this sort of thing. And you kind of, it was like being a babe in the woods. Like you just kind of had to find your way. And this is a really good way to get some exercises and some hints and tips on how to jumpstart your writing. So make sure to check it out. It's now right. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror. It's available in most Barnes and Noble stores on Amazon.com and directly from their website at nowright.net. You are listening to Geek Universe with Jim Yelton. Have a comment about the show? Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek. This week's show is sponsored in part by geekarmory.com. This is one of the coolest places on the interwebs for everything nerdy and geeky. They've got t-shirts, toys, gadget, apparel, and knickknacks from Star Wars, DC Comics, Harry Potter, the X-Men, and, and much, much more. It's holiday shopping season, and there's no better place to find something awesome for that special geek in your life. It's the favorite place to shop for the well-armed nerd. It's Geek Armory on the net at geekarmory.com. That's geekarmory.com. PopFunko.com is the best place on the web to shop for those awesome Funko Pop vinyl figures. Specializing in rare and hard-to-find figures, PopFunko.com carries limited editions, metallics, glow-in-the-darks, autographed, chase, and retired pops. All your favorite characters from The Walking Dead, Ghostbusters, Game of Thrones, The Big Lebowski, and many, many more can be found here, too. They even have collector sets and a bargain bin featuring pop figures for $10 or less. It's my first stop when looking for Funko figures, and now it can be yours too. That's popfunko.com. Thanks for joining us for this week's edition of Geek Universe. I'm Jim Yelton. Let's rejoin my conversation with author John Jackson Miller to find out exactly how he feels about the Star Wars prequels and if they could have ever lived up to our expectations. Really, the lapsing as far as Star Wars was concerned, it wasn't really so much that... that uh that uh, I left Star Wars, uh, you know, this, this is paraphrasing a political quote, Star Wars kind of left me because it left everybody. Right. Uh, you know, it, Marvel, its series petered out. You know, there was uh, there was nothing coming out there for a little while. But when stuff did come out, I grabbed it. I mean, the, the uh, role-playing game from uh, West End, you know, I, I grabbed that source book the day I saw it. I also, you know, the, the problem, though, was I wasn't an active gamer at that point, or not a role-playing gamer at that point, so I was not I was not inhaling that stuff to the extent that, uh, you know, I might have earlier. And then, of course, when uh, Dark Empire comes out from Dark Horse, uh, you know, I, I grabbed those. And uh, then uh, when the uh, Heir to the Empire book came out, I got that the first week. may even have been the first day that that book came out. Uh, you know, my copy still has the the special introductory price uh, uh, band that they put around them. Well, uh, as as Timothy Zahn told me, they didn't think the books would sell, so they they had this special introductory price band that they put around all of them, twenty percent off. And after about a week's sales, he said they took those bands off all the books. Uh, they, uh, so yeah, I mean, I was if I was not as heavy into the the novels uh, that came out in the nineties and uh, and the comics as I would have been back in the the early eighties. 
uh, it was more a matter of by that point I was working at Comics Buyer's Guide and Comics Retailer Magazine, and then later on for for Scry, which was our card game magazine. And I had so much stuff coming in. I mean, I had comics coming in from every publisher. It was difficult to keep up with it all. But no, when 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 uh, when the re-releases happened, uh, you know, we drove to Minneapolis to be able to see it on a decent movie screen. You know, when the uh, when the prequels came out, we were there the first day. It, it's not as though I was uh, I was gone for a long time. Uh, it was more that Star Wars was gone for that period of uh, of the late 80s. So as somebody who's worked in the Star Wars universe, what's your opinion of the prequels? It's funny because I, the more I talk to people about it, I think the either I really love them and I defend them forever or I really hate them and I'm going to bash on them forever has kind of like been rubbed away a little bit. Now everybody's just kind of in this middle ground where it's like take it or leave it. Well, you know, it's impossible to even conceive of talking about the prequels without understanding the storytelling challenge to a prequel, which is we already know what happened. And so prequels are about how. And you know, in some cases, we already knew how some things had happened. So, or if we didn't know how they happened, we we knew generally well. You know, this this event must take place. Uh, you know, C three PO's memory must be wiped at some point. Right. You know, uh, there there are all these boxes that have to be checked to get you to uh, you know the the point that we see in the the first uh, three films that were released. Uh, and so that is a that is a challenge keeping. Things surprising. Yeah, I, I can I can visualize ways that you could have switched things up on people. The you know the Palpatine character at the bigger, at the beginning of the first movie turns out not to be the Emperor or, or something like that. Something happens. I don't know. One can visualize various curveballs you could throw in there, but uh, I think really more it, it's just a matter of when you're doing a, a prequel, uh, it's it's really more about how unless you spend more time stepping away from that story. When I did the Knights of the Old Republic comics, I set them before the Knights of the Old Republic video game because I, I wanted them to be, you know, in this earlier period where there were lots of Jedi and no Sith. But uh, but there was this, this horrible thing that was coming up that would be happening uh, later. You know, one of the plot points about Knights of the Old Republic, the comics, is that there's been this doom that has been prophesied that people had already seen who were playing the game. Well, uh, you know, what people found when they read the comics uh, was that even though it was set before, I, I'd set it well before, and the comics were really not there to answer all these questions or to show, you know, the main character Forrest Gumping past all of these moments that were already known. The comic book went more or less off on its own way with stuff from the, the video game coming in as an extra, as a bonus, as seasoning, as background. And that gave us some freedom that probably would not have had in these feature films because we had a lot more time to work with. We had a lot more pages to work with. So yeah, I mean, I, I you know, there are uh, you know things that I like. There are lines that I, 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 I love Obi-Wan Kenobi's uh, you know, portrayal by uh, Ellen McGregor and uh, and telling the guy to go home and, you know, think about his life and not sell him the death sticks. I mean, that, that that's a little moment there where it shows what Jedi do just normally in their regular daily life. Right. <laughs> is is uh, you, uh, the, you not even thinking about it, they're they're sort of freelance helping people, so... I don't necessarily know that those three prequel movies were ever going to live up to the expectations that we as fans had, because we had been living for years with that backstory on our head. All of us individually, I think, had played out what we thought the backstory was and how it played out, and like you said... 
that's kind of a prequel's job is to show you how it happened, not necessarily what happened, because we know what happened. And yeah. I don't know that anything he would have done would have lived up to what we all in our heads collectively were expecting, except for the last one. Revenge of the Sith really paid off two average to above average movies before it, because the betrayal of Anakin and everything that happened after that was almost exactly how I imagined it. Yeah. If, if, uh, well, there, there are a lot of things in the first, uh, certainly the first two movies that you could not have predicted from what everybody knew. It, it wasn't like it was entirely locks, locked in lockstep, but you know, certainly there's a, there's a, you know, the, the great extreme, I think as prequels go would be something like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, where it, t it takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark, but you really can't tell. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the, the only reason that that we know that is uh, is because you might not even know that at all from watching the the film. I think there there might not be any indication in the film itself. I, I want uh, doesn't it start off? Isn't there a title card that gives you the date? And that's about it. And from that, I don't even. On, I can't remember. I can't yeah. remember if there's a date or not. Uh, I have a particular uh, problem with the Temple of Doom, which is that even though I loved that movie when I saw it, and uh, and you know that sort of filled in my Star Wars, uh, you know, void there for a while. I had a, a roommate in college who had uh, he was flunking everything, so he had basically given up, and he spent his last two dollars on a rental of the uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which he he declared he was going to watch 24 hours he was going to watch it repeatedly while while, while <laughs> this well because it was his last two bucks before he right. had to go home and and this was while i was cramming for finals so i was up all night too and he would get to the end of the tape and he would say oh let's rewind it and do it again and so i ended up seeing temple of doom i think at least eight times in a row <laughs> and i just can't watch now so. <laughs> unrelated unrelated Hey gang, I just wanted to remind you that the Geek Universe is coming live to conventions, colleges, and other great venues around the country this fall. If you like geek comedy, costume contests, games like our Geek Spelling Bee, Trump or Ferengi, the Pop Culture Face-Off, and the Trivia Thunderdome, then go to our website at midnight-entertainment.com and find out all about the Geek Universe slash 30 Minutes of Geek live tour. It's a chance to hang out with your fellow geeks, laugh, show off your nerd IQ, and have a chance to win some great prizes. Get all of the details at midnight-entertainment.com or on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek. Hey gang, this week's show is sponsored by the Now Write Writing Guide series from Tarcher Penguin. Now Write Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is the latest book in the popular Now Write series, and it offers a full toolbox of advice and exercises for speculative fiction writers from some of the most well-known names in the genre. Are you hoping to craft an engaging alternate reality or flesh out an enthralling fantasy quest or even dream up a blood-curdling plot twist? Well, you can learn secrets from authors such as Harlan Ellison, Piers Anthony, Jack Ketchum, Ramsey Campbell, John Skip, Joe R. Lansdale, David Bryn, Vonda McIntyre. I mean, the list goes on and on. They provide tips, tricks, and suggestions to help take your writing to the next level. Whether you're a beginner or a published professional, Now Write Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror is a must-have for every genre writer's bookshelf. You know, I always tell everybody when I do a workshop or I teach one of my screenwriting classes that when I started, there was like two books that gave instruction on how to do this sort of thing. And you kind of, it was like being a babe in the woods. Like you just kind of had to find your way. And this is a really good way to get some exercises and some hints and tips on how to 
jumpstart your writing. So make sure to check it out. It's now right. Science fiction, fantasy, and horror. It's available in most Barnes and Noble stores on Amazon.com and directly from their website at nowright.net. I'm Jim Yelton, and you're listening to Geek Universe with this week's guest, the author of Star Wars A New Dawn, John Jackson Miller. We've covered the original trilogy, we've chatted about the prequels, and we've even gotten some insight into the publishing side of the Star Wars universe. But what about the upcoming movies? And where was John when he saw the first full trailer for The Force Awakens? Find out next as Geek Universe continues. Hey, do you miss the days of Space Invaders and Pac-Man? Well, Gazapper Games has brought those times back for your Android phone with their latest game, Solar Rush. Fast reflexes and strong nerves are needed as you dash about collecting solar cells to power your ship. With the Firebirds constantly on your tail, can you advance through the challenging levels? Solar Rush is a great way to turn your Android phone into a pocket-sized arcade without needing all the tokens. And if you like Solar Rush, try out other Gazapper games like Galaxy Storm and Invaders from Androidia. All three are available from Google Play, where you can get more information at gazapper.com you are listening to geek universe with jim yelton have a comment about the show find us on facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek this episode of the show is sponsored in part by ace designs media with hundreds of web design projects under their belt and over 200 happy customers, the Ace Designs media team knows how to build beautiful, interactive websites, and they can help with yours too. Whether your business needs a site that will simply wow your customers, or you need to add advanced features like e-commerce or blogs, their affordable prices mean that there is no longer any reason to say no to a high-quality, engaging website. So say yes and take the first step towards a new dynamic web presence for your business and visit the Ace website at acedesignsmedia.com. That's acedesignsmedia.com. Welcome back to Geek Universe. I'm Jim Yelton, and it was my pleasure this week to talk with author John Jackson Miller. In his role as a writer of Star Wars novels, John was one of many professionals in attendance at this year's Star Wars celebration, which featured the first showing of the new trailer for Episode 7, The Force Awakens. I had to ask John what his first impression of the new footage was. My first impression was that it was really small uh, <laughs> because I saw it on Leland Chi's cell phone uh, outside my panel that I was doing. Uh, so uh, Leland Chi, the uh, the keeper of the holocron, yeah, they were they were live streaming uh, the uh, into the into the assembly hall to the dealer room to the exhibitor hall the uh, the video from uh, the event uh, I was in the middle of a signing at that point and I was wondering where everybody was because uh, <laughs> they were all because they were all well, I wasn't really wondering we knew in fact that's why we we, we ended up doing a, a a a makeup signing later in the day because we knew what was going on but yeah I certainly yeah very cool obviously you know seeing hot and chewy there that that's that, that's really awesome and uh, it it'll be fun uh, to to see what uh, see what uh, is is coming out uh it, it should be interesting yeah you know the visually it looks like a star wars movie should look and it, right you know, i i don't know how much you know story-wise but from the outside looking in it looks like they're doing what they need to do with sequels which is make it about newer characters and use the older characters as kind of like a seasoning for it and I, I kind of like the fact that we don't know a lot about what's going to happen. No, definitely, and that's that. That is certainly you know you want to do something which is equal parts reverence for the old and also uh, creating something for the new. Now, what do you have anything in the pipeline? 
coming up after the movie comes out? New books well, that you're writing for Star Wars? Well, nothing after the movie comes out has been announced at all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that, that's, that's, all that's been announced so far is the Force Awakens stuff, uh, and, uh, there's also a, 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 I think a Battlefront book, which is based on the video game, and, uh, and of course the, uh, you know, the novelization and, uh, and, and aftermath. That's on the, on the prose side. Uh, yeah, I will say that I do have that, uh, I do have a, a, an original story that is set between Tarkin and, uh, A New Dawn, which is in between Tarkin and A New Dawn in this big Rise of the Empire book that's coming out. Uh, I'll be interested to see how big that book is, because it's, it's probably, I would assume it would be something like eight or nine hundred pages. It, it'll be a doorstop of a book. Uh, so I have that, and that is, uh, that is all I have, uh, that I can talk about there. We have hit a, a stage in, in my output anyway, uh, where I'm working on a number of things that I simply cannot discuss. Right. You can't talk can't about the really cool that stuff. I've got that I'm working. I can't talk about anything really from from here on out. But that that might uh, that might change soon. That might I don't yeah. I don't know. That's uh, but uh, I am working. I can tell you that. You're you're somebody. I know there are a lot of people that have done this. It's not like there isn't crossover between the two. But you've worked in the Star Wars universe and in Star Trek. That's right. I, uh, obviously, the there it's almost like using different writing muscles because they're two completely different takes on on the storytelling i don't want to ask you which one you enjoy more than the other but why don't you talk a little bit about what the differences are well i mean you can sort of tell when you're coming up with an idea this idea is two star wars or two star trek uh or two star wars for star trek or two star trek for star wars uh you know star trek of course it delves a little bit more into the the science of, of their galaxy they uh, certainly are a lot heavier into exploration whereas star wars accepts the universe as having been mostly explored or as the galaxy is having most mostly explored and sort of takes things as a given you know if you were to write about a strange cosmological phenomenon, you would be putting that into a Star Trek book and not into a Star Wars book. We do deal with, uh, you know, scientific concepts and uh, and astronomical concepts in Star Wars to a to a degree. Uh, but when we do that, if for example it's about uh, you know comet harvesting or something like that, you know, we don't make any big deal out of how it's done or wow is it this amazing that it's being done or here are the difficulties in doing it you know it, it's it's presented more matter of fact that you know this is something that uh oh yeah yeah we, we this all the pioneering work has is, is kind of been done star trek again different story certainly uh star wars is uh ha has a lot more active wars going on at any one given time depending on where you are but <laughs> but uh but star trek has quite a lot of that going on too you know the the explore Exploration always comes in the pauses between, um, you know, the various hornet's nests that have been kicked up, uh, you know, and in any given book, we'll, we'll see, uh, we'll see what happens. You and I were on a panel about space opera at Mid-South County Memphis, and I hated to, to bang the Star Wars drum too much during a, a panel talking about space opera, but... To me, that was always like the epitome of Star Wars. It's it's like the textbook example of what oh, yeah. space opera is versus Star Trek, which is a little bit more science fiction to me. 
That's that's true, and uh, you know it's 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 not rock hard hard science fiction because there's a lot of pseudoscience in it. But I can get away with writing about the pseudoscience. The Titan novella that I did, uh, Star Trek Titan: Absent Enemies, the springboard is a particular bit of pseudoscience that they showed in the in the TV show, and it's not something where I I would try to make an entire story out of that in Star Wars. Uh, again, this is not to say that there aren't caper episodes of of the Trek series or. or or that oh yeah yeah uh, I mean you know and clearly that yeah the highest regarded uh, of of the Trek movies certainly are the ones that are are really heavy in the action department and you know have have sort of these larger than life uh, characters in them that's one of the things when they rebooted the Star Trek movies that I thought was interesting because they went and got J J Abrams specifically because they wanted somebody who was not a Star Trek fan, and J.J. has always been on record as saying he's much more of a Star Wars fan than Star Trek, and they wanted somebody that was going to bring that kind of action-adventure aspect to Star Trek and and kind of Star Wars it up a little bit. And then, of course, they decide they're going to come out with Episode Seven, and who do they get but one of the biggest Star Wars fans on the planet who's also one of the best filmmakers on the planet right now so it's a it's great work if you oh, yeah. get it i guess yeah definitely popfunko.com is the best place on the web to shop for those awesome funko pop vinyl figures specializing in rare and hard to find figures popfunko.com carries limited editions metallics glow in the darks autographed chase and retired pops all your favorite characters from the walking dead ghostbusters game of thrones the big lebowski and many many more can be found here too they even have collect sets and a bargain bin featuring pop figures for $10 or less. It's my first stop when looking for Funko figures and now it can be yours too. That's popfunko.com. That's going to wrap things up for this week. Huge thanks to our guest John Jackson Miller. It was great talking Star Wars with him and finding out some behind the scenes info on the publishing side of the Lucasfilm dynasty. You can keep up with all of his books, signings and convention appearances at his website which is farawaypress.com. And speaking of the internet, don't forget you can can find all of the latest news about the geek universe show at our podcast page on facebook just search for 30 minutes of geek to find us on facebook or you can go to our website at midnight-entertainment.com as always there are parts of the show that we just didn't have time to fit in which is why we put the leftovers into our podcast 30 minutes of geek we have some great stuff this week from john jackson miller including john telling us about crossing paths with the nerdist himself chris hardwick and having harlan ellison give him writing advice that's the geek leftovers on 30 minutes of geek at midnight-entertainment.com we're out of time for this week's geek universe for rachel our robotic announcer i'm jim yelton reminding you to never go in against a sicilian when death is on the line you've been listening to another exciting episode of geek universe with jim yelton Find out more about the Geek Universe including how to buy Jim's book, the exciting sci-fi adventure The Swindlers of Doom, along with our other geek merchandise, information about our live shows, our full archive of previous episodes, our bonus features podcast, blogs, and more at midnight-entertainment.com. You can also find the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash 30 minutes of geek, or on Twitter using the Twitter handle at 30 minutes of geek. Geek Universe with Jim Yelton is a production of Midnight Entertainment LLC and is a proud part of the GLN Radio Network.
This episode is copyright 2015. All rights reserved. Well, kids, that's all you get. That's it. We're